City. It's your man, Big Pat, the voice of your Charlotte Hornets. And you're listening to the All Hornets Podcast Network, presented by Sports Illustrated. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another edition of Inside the Hive. Chase, back, join me for another podcast. Since our last episode, Chase, the Hornets had a 51-point quarter explosion against the Bucks, managed to somehow beat Giannis, hold him under single digits. Uh, Mark Williams is out the rotation as soon as we just did a podcast about him being in the rotation and have generally had a pretty horrible time north of the border in Canada. Uh, that's been the last week. How how's your last week been? Hopefully better than Charlotte's. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've I like to think that I got more than one win in my personal life in the last like week or so since our podcast. Uh, and they the Hornets have only won one game since then, so I like to think that's going pretty well. And not they also followed up that fifty-one point first quarter by allowing a record low sixteen points to the Pacers yeah. in the next quarter. So despite despite uh, the losses, I guess, or I guess they beat Milwaukee, but despite the recent losses, they're still setting records down in a Hornets land here. So there's something to, to look forward to. Yeah, and the games have been like feisty. They're not like the games oh, yeah. early in the year where the Hornets just did not have enough talent on the floor and we're not competitive. Like they've been in kind of most of these games uh, recently, apart from the Memphis one. Uh, I don't know if that was, I think that might have been before our last podcast, but apart from that one, they, they struggled. But they, generally they've been in these games and... I mean, if you're someone like me who, like, I was I was worried that they were going to win too many games when everyone got healthy, right? And they'd start to kind of play their way out of the Houston, Detroit, Orlando mix and get into, like, the Washington Wizards area. I, I was worried about that probably, like, three, four weeks ago. I'm, I'm kind of happy this little stretch has happened here because it, I really do now feel it cements. There's no, like, sniff of playing. It's not like they went five and seven and... They're only two and a half games back of the 11th seed. Like, they are firmly there. Uh, But they've been, like, entertaining games to watch. Not many young guys getting as many minutes, which is probably why the team has been a little bit better. Uh, But they're still at the bottom, uh, tied with uh, the Rockets, the Pistons, uh, for the worst records in the NBA in terms of lottery odds. I mean, Chase, I want to to touch on this. Like, lottery odd-wise, what do you think now we are at the bottom end here of the flattened lottery odds because the chart haven't been down this low for a, for a little while since the lottery odds changed i think it was like 25 percent if you had the worst record and now it's down to like 15 percent. it kind of now you're at the other end of the stick our experience is to do you do you still like the flattening of the lottery odds or do you think it makes it harder for those teams at the bottom of the league to to improve uh, I'm, i i definitely like it i think that de-incentivizing like losing cultures is definitely a good thing like long term for the entirety of the NBA maybe not like each individual team like you said like but I mean at the same time can you really feel bad for like the Rockets if they drop from one to three like they have four good young players that they drafted highly Uh, I mean they haven't really done anything to warrant like a prosperous basketball situation like they play 
people think the Hornets are bad. The Houston Rockets play some of the worst ball in the history of the NBA. So, uh, I mean, we, we've definitely still got a leg up in that regard, at least in terms of like pure quality of play. So I, mean, I, I definitely don't uh, like think that they should change it back to what the old lots or old lottery odds used to be. And I, I don't necessarily feel, feel badly for a team that would like drop necessarily, even if it was the Hornets, it's just kind of, how it goes because the first like five picks i would say are the first top three are all 14 percent uh number one four is 12 and a half and five is 10 and a half so those are all not the same but close enough to where any yeah. top five odd is, or lottery odds you're kind of like okay with it you'd obviously rather have the higher chance but i think those are all pretty much fine if you're one of the five worst teams in the league and the ironic thing on all this is like charlotte really are the only team in the bottom four who actually aren't tanking oh yeah <laughs> the only they're one like, they're the only ones that are there on accident like, yes absolutely. exactly <laughs> exactly everyone else they're like looking to this going it's it's part of the plan it's painful charlotte are like we don't want to be here <laughs> um hopefully now they realize for this season it's it's the best thing but like if there is any like nba gods nba karma hopefully that plays into a little bit because charlotte charlotte are not trying to lose on purpose uh no matter what people people may think um, and yeah, I think now safe to say, I don't think everyone knows the plane is out of reach, but the plane is interesting, right? Cause you've got teams like Washington, you've got teams like OKC, who, like even Orlando could maybe make the play in now in the East and West. And the plane's another thing that got brought in in recent years. Um, it really, really kind of incentivizes teams to, to not just sell off all their assets at the deadline and like to actually maybe try and make that 10th seed to gain that experience. It's, it's not always a, an enjoyable and fun experience as the Charlotte Hornets fans and players can probably tell you from the last two seasons playing Atlanta and Indiana. But in, in theory, it feels like a step in the right direction. Yeah, it absolutely does. And over the last like two or three weeks, I would say it doesn't really reflect in the stats because <laughs> I think they're, they're obviously still dead last in offense. They're still fourth to the bottom in defense. Uh, but I mean, I, it's definitely, become a more enjoyable watch over the last few weeks. And I think that's definitely a positive sign for both the fans that want the team to, you know, be productive and play for wins and not, you know, lose on purpose and the people that, you know, do want them to tank because uh, they get to see the loss and lottery odds stay intact and people that are rooting for competitive basketball still get to watch that too. Yeah. They have, they've seem to have found a, a nice medium here. Um, a couple of things I want to touch on. Firstly, I had a few people reach out to me about draft content for Hornets SI, for the podcast. Obviously, we had the draft show last year. I just want everyone to know we are we are coming with the draft show. We're coming thick and fast this year. But what we don't want to do is record a bunch of draft content now when the, a lot of the college seasons or overseas seasons aren't finished. People's focus is on the NBA. We don't, we don't want to burn out too quickly here, right? So we want to do... Uh, shorter fuse, but as soon as the season finishes, we'll be coming back with the draft show. We got a bunch of guests lined up uh, for this next year. I've been working back channels, Chase. I I don't want to promise anyone, but some some very big draft analyst names that you've heard of have, have verbally agreed to, to come on the podcast. Um, hopefully we can make that happen with schedules. So that's going to be coming back. We're going to have big boards, rankings, mock drafts, uh, looking at draft day trades, everything is soon as the day of the season finishes regular season we're we're shifting quickly to draft work so i want everyone to know that on today's episode we are covering the recent report about Jalen mcdaniels uh seemingly being a man in demand according to shaman sharania which we'll touch on first then we're going to move on to a little bit about lamelle ball now we've got a good 
I want to say 17, 18 game sample size here. It really feels like the first time you can actually sit back and look at his body of work this season and go, okay, where do we think we're at with Lamella Ball? And then finally, we're just going to touch on kind of just open the door to do a little bit more general open trade talk and where our thoughts are heading over the next month. Obviously, trade deadline is February 9th, so we've probably got three to four podcasts to do before then. We're probably going to shift pretty hard into the trade world over the next couple of weeks, but we we don't want to lean in too hard right now as things become a little bit clearer. But that's going to be our podcast today. Um, Chase, give me your thoughts. What did you think when you saw the Shamsarania notification came up and there was a whole video about Jalen McDaniels? I was taken aback. Like, I was legitimately surprised because usually when he does those, like, videos of him sitting in front of a backdrop, like, talking about trade rumors or free agency rumors or whatever it may be, it's some, like, really, really high-profile player. And I love Jalen McDaniels. I think he's a great player. We had him on the podcast. He's a really good guy. I didn't think he was, the like, that much of a hot-button topic for Shams to get the whole production value thing up. I was, I believe, like uh, Stadium and FanDuel like posted the video like on their own, uh, like social media channels. So it, it was very surprising that it got it like came right off the bat, and it was like a long, drawn out thing about how the Phoenix Suns have interest in Jalen McDaniels. Uh, you know, there's they or they have emerged as a team with interest. So that means that there are likely many more teams other than Phoenix that are interested in him as well. Phoenix was just the one that got their name put out there, but. I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily, you know, I'm not surprised by the idea of him being a hot button topic. It's just the fact that it actually played out like that so early too, like a month before the deadline. With, with any of these leaks that come out, there's always someone trying to get an angle, right? Someone's to gain here. Who do you think is to gain? Who is leaking that to Shams to get that news out there? Who do you think it benefits? I don't know. That's a good question. I would imagine, I mean, I don't know. It might benefit the Hornets a little bit, but I feel like it's more so the other teams just to kind of attach themselves to – because the Hornets, none of these players that the Hornets have are going for, you know, like a first-round pick and a young player. Like, it's not going to be a massive package no matter who it is. So I feel like just kind of floating these names around and having them at least in the rumor mill probably benefits the other teams more so than the Hornets, because I don't know how interested they'd be in trading him anyway. He, he's mm. a pretty important aspect of their team right now, especially if they're going to shift gears a little bit and move towards a younger rotation rather than infusing all these veterans like they are right now. So I don't know how much interest Charlotte would have in moving him anyway. That's the only reason I kind of don't really think it benefits them as much. Yeah, I mean, what what came into my head is the report seemed to come from the view of the Phoenix Suns, where he talked about how he was a popular trade target for for the Phoenix Suns, among other teams. It, it never said anything about Charlotte actually being willing to move Jaden McDaniels or wanting to move Jaden McDaniels. It, it felt like it came from other teams. And all I can think of is, like, he's going to be a free agent this year. So there's a couple of things to this, right? One, by making that public, do they hope that Jaden McDaniels goes, the Suns are interested in me? Oh, great. I'm going to go to Charlotte and ask for a trade. Like they try and almost kind of force, Jay, not force, but try and publicly link them to make Jaden more likely to kind of ask out. Or the other option is like they want to chase him in free agency. And by linking themselves with him now, 
when they try and meet him in free agency, they go, oh, Jalen, we tried to trade for you at the deadline. Remember that story with Shams? You know, we've been chasing you for ages. We really want, like, that whole, like, narrative side of it. Those are the only things that cross my mind. But I, I don't see any reason why it would come from Charlotte. But, I mean, going on to what you said, I would be pretty shocked if they traded Jalen McDaniels. I, you know, I think we all have to evaluate, like, a lot of what we've seen this year and who should be on this roster going forward on a playoff level team I'd suggest there's probably less players than maybe we thought when we started the season I would still have Jalen McDaniels in that small group of guys that I look at a playoff series and I go yeah yeah he can have a role Um, he's probably being asked to do a little bit too much right now Uh, but in in the perfect role like off the bench for 18 minutes per night give me a guy who can hit threes plays like hard good defense runs out in transition manages to score pretty well around the rim and like can attack closeouts. Uh, versatile, can guard like probably like two to four positions. Um, yeah, I, 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 there's a lot I like with Jane McDaniels. And for me, he is just a winning playoff level player. And he's the kind of guy that I prioritize. I mean, personally, I, I've been wrestling with this all year and I go back and forth, but I might even consider prioritizing McDaniels over PJ Washington as like a guy you'd prefer. If you could only have one of those guys back in the roster, I, I think PJ would get a little bit more money, which is also factors into this. Um, but I know Jalen can't do as much, but I feel like the things he does translate to playoff basketball and winning basketball and fit around kind of like central offensive players, maybe a little bit better than PJ. Where, where would you feel that? Hmm. I think I would, I personally think if you were just going to put them in groups of like players we think could be sex, successful in a playoff series, like you said, it would probably be LaMelo, PJ, and Jalen McDaniels are the three like younger players, obviously, that I think would fit into that group right now. I don't know who, I really don't know who I would pick between the two of them. The, the money thing definitely factors into it if you're building a team, yeah. but I, I honestly think that three four years down the road whatever it is when the hornets are like ready to make like actual deep playoff runs with like a 24 25 year old lamella ball uh i think both of them if those if pj and jalen are your starting and backup four like i think that you could probably still have a pretty good team around that i agree and i just think it'd be really weird to move one of your most versatile wing players like yeah. when you've got mason Plumley, nick richards kai jones mark williams on the roster if they if they like moved one of your wings, it's like, what are we, what are we doing here? Right. Like, let, let's try and rebalance this roster a little bit. Maybe let's move one of these big guys out because there are just too many right now. Like there's, even if you can see, like, even when Mark, there's always two out the rotation at all times, which is just not going to be like, I understand the G League as a tool to develop, and that's great. But like Kai Jones and Mark Williams, I don't really feel when I watch them play in the G League, it's good because they can get sharpness and it helps, especially defensively. But they are, they've kind of solved the G League a little bit, both yeah, of those guys. Like they are not being pushed to the level like they are in the NBA. And um, it, it does just make me wonder. So I'd much rather try and rebalance the roster and, and not move McDaniels, who like can just find so many ways onto the court. Um, I will add, after the Shams report, Jake Fisher came out with an article for Yahoo Sports, I believe now, Jake, has that moved from Bleacher Report, I think, in the summer, saying that Mitch, that Jalen McDaniels is a favorite of GM Mitch Kupchak, which that, to me, sounds accurate because 
it's one, his, it's like his he, best draft hit. Like he yeah, has <laughs> Late uh, 52nd, 53rd. Yeah. Was it? You do not find players that make it to their second no. contract at 52nd overall very often. And and for all the reasons we've said already on how he plays winning basketball and how he stepped up this year in different roles, he's like so versatile, just fits with the roster. I've I've no idea why he would want to trade McDaniel. So I think it's pretty unlikely. Um but like the, the only way I could see it, and I think I wrote this in my piece for Hornets Asira, I wrote a bit with Fuller Writer, but it's like, unless Jalen McDaniels has made it clear to the front office, I'm not coming back in summer. I'm an unrestricted free agent. I'm going elsewhere. Um, like, you know, he's a big West Coast guy. Like, you know, went to San Diego State, is all from California, spent all his like friends and training, everything is based out there. Uh, maybe he just goes, I want to be back out towards family and friends. And he's already made that decision. Then, okay, like I understand you, you don't need him for this second half of almost pointless basketball for Charlotte, you move him. But I don't think that's the case. I think Jalen's always been a pretty happy camper in Charlotte and I think he's thankful for the opportunity he's been given. And um, it, it, would, it would be a mild surprise if that, if that had happened. Okay, let's move on. Next, next topic, Lamella Ball. Um, we've now been able to see Lamello for an extended stretch of time, seemingly healthy, seemingly playing with a relatively kind of good set of players around him. In that time, he's averaging 24 points per game, six rebounds, eight assists, one and a half steals and half a block, 3.4 turnovers. Um, we just want to have a little bit of an extended discussion, right? Do we think... Lamelo has made progress. Um, what areas of game does he need to work on? So I'll I'll leave it to you. Where do you want to start? Do you want to start positive? Do you want to start negative? What what are your general impressions on Lamelo from what you've seen this year? I personally have been very pleased. Like I think that the idea of Lamelo Ball as a player, right, is not there have and this is not to say that there haven't been any like downsides to his play this year or that he hasn't done anything like incorrectly or made mistakes he certainly has everyone does but the idea of lamella ball as a player is not as some guy who's like a defensive stopper that's like locking down players on ball fighting through screens like gritting his teeth and like stop like just locking up the point of attack and but he is an absolutely elite offensive player he's still one of the probably five best passers in the NBA just in terms of pure talent. And even in terms of like assist to turnover ratio and decision-making, he's in that group as well, like in the top, like five to 10 passers in the entire league. And this is at an extremely young age. And now getting coming out of the draft, he was billed as like a non-shooter, not just someone that isn't that good at it or like needs to improve. He was a non-shooter. He is now second in the league in three point attempts per game at 11.1 and is shooting 38% on them. That is otherworldly efficiency for the volume that he takes and the difficulty of those shots that he takes. So for me, just that specific leap alone far outweighs a lot of the negatives that you could bring up about him. And they do certainly exist. Like he could be better at defense, but to me, like I'm never going to look for him to be more than like an average or just like non- harmful defender as long as he's not like giving up a ton of points on the other end he's going to produce so many more than he's giving up so i i think that it's 
this year what we've seen from him is even in the small-ish sample size um is very very positive i think what about you Look, he's not the problem. Let's start with that. Uh, no. <laughs> Lame- there's, there's, there's a lot of issues. Lamella Ball has some warts, right? But right. He, is, he is not the, the reason they are losing these games. Um, the shooting is interesting. I would say the shooting is probably the biggest area where Lamelo has actually improved. Because like, even when he came into the NBA, he was like a 35% three-point shooter and like 76% from the line. And then... He's bumped that up over the last couple of years. Like he's now a comfortable 38, 39% shooter over the last two seasons and an 86% free throw shooter. So he's made big strides there. Right? I think I, I don't I don't think Lamelo has regressed. I think he's made a a kind of a small a taken a small step forward, I would describe. If you look at the numbers, the numbers are kind of pretty similar to last year. Like the scoring is up a little bit, but the if like number of shots he's taken is up and the efficiencies kind of all in similar ballparks. Like you don't, like if you were looking to do your all-star votes and you're a media member, you go to the stats page and look at it and you'd go, Oh, he's just kind of doing the similar stuff. I I didn't feel that when watching the game. I do feel he's made progress as, as a passer, um, as like the difficulty of his shots, the amount of load that he is, is using. Um, And specifically in that area of three point shooting, I think he's, made a real jump. I mean, it wouldn't shock me if he was in three-point shooting contest at All-Star Weekend with the volume that he's shooting and also the brand name that comes to that. I mean, for crying out loud, Matt McClung just got in the dunk contest, right? Matt McClung's in the freaking G League and he's in the NBA dunk contest. So they obviously care more about name recognition and TikTok views than they do the profile of the player. And in that case, get the mellow ball in the three-point contest. Like that would be, that'd be fun to see, right? Oh, absolutely. And if you think that he wouldn't do some sort of cool, extravagant thing, like while he's walking up to the to the rack to start or afterwards or even during the contest, you just don't know LaMelo. So he, he would add an element of showmanship to it. He'd be really good at it also. So I, I, I agree. That would be really fun if he if I mean, if he I don't think he's going to make the all star game, but if he still wants to go, no, that would be awesome. Yeah. Um. I think the the issue that some people have with the most, you look at his weaknesses when he came into the league, which were probably like more on-ball defense, staying out of foul trouble, scoring efficiently within the restricted area and kind of within two-point shooting, drawing fouls. And you look at all those areas, and I would describe there being minimal progress. And I think that's where the concern begins to come because you think, well this guy isn't improving on these areas of weakness. He's he's still doing the things that he's good at really well. And I'd say probably to a better level than ever this year. Uh, but until he makes some steps in those areas of his game, his ceiling is always going to be like limited. And he's he could have an even greater impact at winning in what feels like a relatively accessible way. Because he doesn't like the hard stuff. It feels really well. And stuff like just like not fouling someone while frustrated, he struggles with. Yeah. And I think part of that, I don't think the Hornets, you know, quality of the roster and the team that they've put around him necessarily helps like right in this exact moment. Uh, the, the last two years, I would say it's that wasn't a problem. But right now, I think that the just the quality of the team probably brings him down a little bit, especially because like, 
on defense, if he he's never like a point guard is never going to be like the start and the end of your defense. Like even Marcus Smart, like he's the best guard defender, perimeter defender in the league. But like he still has guys behind him. He still gets beat by his man like every now and again. Like you're standing 25 feet away from the basket. Like someone's going to get by you pretty often in the NBA with how athletic players are. It's just not fouling them when they get by you. Uh, like rotating to the open guy after you get blown by and making sure that, you know, it doesn't, the guy that drives by you doesn't just have some easy kick out or drop off pass. It's those types of things that could be cleaned up. And I think they probably will in time, you know, he's still young, but obviously you'd like to see some sort of improvement in that in the last like two and a half seasons, but we haven't quite yet. So I think that, I think that remains when the Hornets are like a very quality team, uh, and he's not young. Like last year, they were really – or not really good, but they were good. They were over 500, but he was still really young. If that happens again, you know, next year or two years from now, then we can – we really have to be like, okay, like this is now like not a problem, but like it's it could become one down the road. Well, not not all players can resolve their like weaknesses, right? right? Yes, yeah, so that's – that's like, yeah, you can't always some, like, some players do. Problem. Some players yeah. can – like they come back each year and they – add something to the game and it's not always that easy and the hope is the mellow can you know he's so natural in so many ways uh with what he does you think well give him a few years and i still i still believe in that um but like this is where it comes down to having the right coaches the right coaching environment which uh you know this the past turbulent summer that that's where i think it's really important but it's interesting at the minute, he seems to be leaning into his strengths more, which I'm actually okay with right now. Like his three-point volume has gone up because he's shooting the ball better. His rim attempts was up at 28 and 30% the last two years. It's down to 20% this year. So he's not taking as many shots at the rim. I think he's passing out more. And I think he's kind of settling more for jump shots, but at the same time, like he's he's shooting a good ball from beyond the arc. So um, the interesting thing here is his... Transition frequency in his rookie year was two and a half percent. Last year was one point nine. This year is down to one percent for his transition frequency per cleaning the glass. Um, and and Steve Clifford said he wants to play fast. Um, I, I wonder if this is linked to the defensive rebounding struggles. But like I, I do feel we've seen less kind of Lamelo kicking it up ahead really early. Those one-handed passes have gone. Some of the riskier passes I definitely feel have. Have disappeared. Like I don't have a stat for this. Do you remember how many alley oops there were last season, Chase, on this Hornets team? I they don't throw alley oops anymore. Yeah, I was gonna like, say probably a lot. Like yeah, especially. I mean, Miles Bridges was responsible for a lot, but even like PJ Washington, Mason Plumley, you like you saw the Mason mm-hmm. Plumley reverse alley oops. That I I wonder if it's something that Steve Clifford is like trying to drive more efficient shots by taking because the alley oop like if you get it wrong. You're essentially giving up a it's fast a free, break. Away, yeah, right? it's like a free point almost for the other team. Exactly. Yeah. And what does Steve Clifford hate? Transition, yep. a poor transition defense. And if you've got your big who's caught up in the midair and he's fumbled a pass or the pass has gone of his fingertips or bounced off the rim, like that's where guys run at you. So I do wonder if that's like a stylistic thing there. But the transition frequency being down, I, I think that's coaching and system asking Lamelo to do that rather than Lamelo being like, Hey, I want to slow it down. Would you agree? Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. And I don't even, I don't necessarily think that Steve Clifford is like making a point to like slow the team down. It's just that 
in turn with it trying to improve your half court offense, your half court, your defense in general, but, and your half court offense, you're naturally just not going to be able to play quite as fast because you want to slow down and be able to get more reps in these certain situations that both Lamelo and the rest of the team have somewhat struggled in, in the past. So those, I think those are being taken away both because of like a slight change in the, the offensive style, but also just because of like what, Steve Clifford wants this team to get better at. Yeah. So, I, th- I mean, overall, like my, I think, overwhelming feeling is the numbers suggest he's stagnated, but due to situation, he's actually, you know, his numbers are better since if you take out like the first five games when he was like injured or in between those games, I think he has taken a step forward. Um, I think he's, Feels like more of the driving guy in offense, whereas last year he was, but there was also like playing a lot through miles in the half court and stuff like that. I feel like Lamelo is being asked to do a little bit more. So I do feel he's taken steps forward. I don't feel he's regressed. I don't feel he's stagnated, but he's the, the big thing. The next piece of the puzzle for me is addressing some of those weaknesses within his game. And until he does that, I don't think he'll get national recognition or until this team starts winning. Like, I don't think he'll get that all-star buzz because the lazy old comparison will be that, oh, well, he's just a, you know, a good stats, bad team guy. That's what will happen. People will be saying that this summer. I guarantee it. I, yeah, I people already say that. People say yeah. that already right now. Yeah. Which I, I disagree with, but until he... It's, yeah, that's the, that is the worst label in all of basketball. Like, oh, empty stats. Like, he doesn't... Devin Booker. Know, he, he, was, he was the poster guy, right? Right. Look, look what happened when they got him a reasonable team. Like, exactly. <laughs> we've already seen that with LaMelo. They went above 500 last year, and that was like a reasonable roster. Not really that good, but they went above 500. See what oh, happened? last year. Remember last yeah. year, Chase. Wasn't, I do. Wasn't that, that, that was that was fun. I, it, it wasn't was that a more good, enjoyable it was a experience to cover yeah. and to podcast about than than this season. Hey, you go through the tough times, and that makes the good times that much more enjoyable, right? Yeah, it does. I'm just still waiting for those good. Times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was gonna say we've been going through them for a while, I guess. But... Yeah. <laughs> so that, that um, must be really, really good when the good times come around, though. That's what that means. Any any lasting thoughts on Lamelo? What would you give Lamelo as a grade uh, for this season? Uh, from what you've seen so far, what would you give a, him? A like solid A. I mean, like if if the team was good and he was you know fouling out late in games uh, when they like really needed him and or just not being avail- available in the last few minutes of the first half because he has three fouls, then it would then it would probably bother me. But I think that the environment is much more conducive to frustration fouls then you know it it might be led on to believe that this year like I too would be frustrated uh if I missed a few shots and the only reason way the Hornets can win is if LaMelo makes a ton of shots uh so I'm sure it probably does piss him off when he's like well I'm you know 0 for 4 this quarter we were down by 6 now we're down by 15 and this game is over whack from behind reach and foul see you later I don't, I don't think that the thought – it doesn't sound good, but I don't think the thought process on that is super unrealistic. Yeah, maybe. I mean, we didn't talk about the fouling much. It is a concern that he is – like his foul rate is where it always is. His actual personal foul is up this year, but he is playing more minutes. But his foul rate is basically the, the same. 
And that's even with like his steal and block percentages going down a little bit, which I think are like, if you look, I think the reason he's done that, he's dialed that back on purpose to not quite go so maverick, to not find situations where he's reaching in. Like, uh, but at the minute, those percentages have dropped and the fire rate's still there. But I mean, so many of these fouls are just so avoidable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they are, you know, kicking your leg out, chasing someone after you've missed a shot and like fouling them in transition. It, it is frustrating to me that he hasn't just like sat himself down in front of the mirror and said, like, you are too important to get into foul trip. I think it was it the was it the Memphis game? Like, there was one game recently where he fouled out with like six minutes to go. And it was a yeah. close-ish game. And he and he got a foul on the very first possession in the third quarter. And he was already on three fouls. And he basically like reached in on a help assignment and just drew a drew a foul. And it was just it was just a real killer. That that is one area where I just I don't I don't understand how he can't see that and go, yeah, I just have to stop doing that. And it's because in the game in the moment, your adrenaline's going, you play off instinct. And if there's any player who plays off instinct, it is Lamella Ball. And sometimes this instinct is, oh, go get the ball back, you turned it over. Uh, oh, I need to help here because there's a guy with a lane. But he's just got to get that little monkey in his head. I don't know if you read the read the book or heard about the the monkey in your head thing, basically oh, where there's the, like with a the, monkey. Symbols. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. You need to. You need to control your monkey. Lamella Ball needs to control his monkey when it comes to fouling. <laughs> and, uh, I, I thought Steve Clifford would be like the perfect coach to get him there because of his focus on that. And he's got other players to really translate that into the game. But it's it's not happened yet. Although I will say, that I don't know if you saw the Raptors game last night, that the second Raptors game, I thought he did a really good job. It's like, I noticed it. He, a couple of times where he'd normally pick up fouls, didn't. So... Hopefully that's something that you can improve in the second half of the season and turn the corner. But it has been, you know, two and a half years now, and he is still making some mistakes that a lot of guys are stopped. You know, they stop making that mistake by the end of their rookie year, and he's still making some of those rookie errors in year three. Hey, but he also had twelve assists and zero turnovers against the <laughs> Milwaukee Bucks. So yes, he did. You know, <laughs> you you giveth and and you taketh. So. And yeah. seven of thirteen from three. So the, these are it's it's a really it's like a whatever that thing is the scale with like the like on the uh, they use for like lawyer uh, like yes. law firm logo. Better call Sol. Sol has them in his office. And yeah, 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 exactly. I know what you mean. That's one, on one side. It's like fouls. Bankers, and, bankers yeah. scales. Maybe I don't know. Yeah. yeah, yes, no, I think that is it. But it's on one side. It's like fouls and like not fighting through screens, and then on the other side, it's like the best playmaking in the entire world <laughs> and 12 threes per game at 40%. So it's, it's, it's tough. Yeah. I, I think overall I give Lamelo a B. Um, I feel I've made an incremental step forward. Um, I wouldn't go straight with an A like for, for me, A would be like all-star level caliber season. And I, if he was healthy, he might, might've got there, but I, yeah, I would, I would give him a, a solid B, uh, which is good. And Yeah. Okay, let's take a break. Let's hear from our sponsors, DraftKings, who've got some very interesting news for you ahead of this weekend's wildcard round of NFL games. So make sure you hear out for the special offer for DraftKings. Coming up now. The NFL playoff picture is locked in, and my go-to place for wildcard round action is DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the NFL. To kick off the road, Super Bowl 57, New customers can bet $5 and get $200 in free bets instantly. Plus, 
All new and existing customers can get a no-sweat bet each day of the wildcard round this weekend only. Just place any NFL bet of your choice, and if it loses, you'll get a free bet back up to $10. Action so good, why would you bet anywhere else from the NFL playoffs? I'm going to rock with the Giants this week. I know the Vikings minus three, but you look back at that game a few weeks ago, if it wasn't for like a blocked punt and some weird like game things that you just don't normally happen, Giants, I think, win that game and have a little bit of momentum, have a feel-good crowd, um, you know, fan base is loving it, coaching staff, players are full of confidence. So I'm rocking the Giants this weekend. So if you want to join, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code TBPN. New customers can bet $5 on the NFL and get $200 in free bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code TBPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. Please see the show notes for details. All right, trade time. Um, Trade deadlines coming up. We are going to have a live trade deadline show streamed onto Facebook and Twitter. Um, So make sure you keep an eye out for that. We'll have more details closer to the deadline, uh, but we'll be talking everything at the time, covering every angle of the Hornets trade deadline. But first, I've written a couple of articles recently for Hornets SI, analyzing the trade markets for Mason Plumley and for Kelly Oubre. Uh, picked out kind of like four mock trades thrown in there. I've got a PJ Washington, one that I'm working on, which is going to be coming out at some point next week. But uh, but Chase, you, you've had a read of these articles. Were there any of those trades that I proposed in there which kind of caught your eye or or you thought were interesting? So the ones that I liked, and I suggest that everyone read these articles, si.com slash NBA slash Hornets. You'll find it right there. Uh, there were a couple that I liked. The Mason, one from the Mason Plumley, the article that I liked was sending him back to the Nuggets, a place that he's already been before, so it should be pretty comfortable. And the one from the Kelly Oubre tra- article that I liked was trading him to the Cleveland Cavaliers, a very widely known wing needy team. So that is another one that should work out pretty well. For both parties if uh this framework to be were to be somewhat enacted in real life yeah the plumley one the plumley one is the one that i just feel has to happen I, I know he's been playing really well uh recently um he probably this is, like, like, is maybe... this the best stretch of his entire career like realistically <laughs> i was about to say like with the because he's starting now that. like he never started yes. in denver like he might have been a more impactful player like per minute when he was Jokic's backup a few years ago but like this is probably the best season of or yeah I mean this might just be the best entire season but definitely the best like month long stretch of his career absolutely and uh, I mean if if Mason Plumley had been drafted in the first round of the 15th pick this year and wasn't 32 years old or whatever he is like people be going insane about how he looks but because of who he is you know there's always and I get it they, people don't see a future with him beyond the season. So it's like, well, this is great, but where's it going? Um, Mason Plumlee is the one that I just think has to be moved. We talked about the logjam at center. We talked about how well he's playing. I'm still not getting carried away. Like I think most Hornets fans would be like, oh, Mason Plumlee, he's playing himself into like first round value. I, I just, I'm trying to like stay very neutral here and be like, if I was covering another team, I would look at that and be like, yeah, but the Hornets stink on offense and on defense. He is just like getting a lot of minutes. And if you play any big, a lot of minutes, they will get rebounds and points just from being big and 
being there when you're playing with the mellow ball as well. So um, I, I will say, that I think the fact that this stretch has coincided with Lamelo being back is not a surprise. I think it's because of Lamelo's passing and instincts. It's really helping Mason Plumley. But I, I'm still struggle to see like no team is going to have him as their starting center unless there's like a big injury for someone. Um, he's going to be viewed as a backup, and if you're viewing him as a backup, you're just not giving up first round value. It's it's not happening. So you're looking at second round picks. Uh, maybe a player, but I struggle to find like any good players out there that match. But yeah, that Denver one, Denver have that trade exception from I think the Monte Morris trade. So they can just absorb his salary right into there and they can just send back basically draft picks. They don't have to send back any players. Um, so yeah, be I think that's an interesting one. I, even with this stretch run here, you're still supportive of Mason Plumley being on the being on the trade block here for Charlotte. Yeah, I definitely. I I think that this would be the time to trade him. Like, the, yeah. obviously, you can't in the offseason because he's a free agent anyway. But even more so than like last deadline, I think if they move him now, it obviously proves in hindsight to be smart to wait a year and move him when his value was much higher than it would have been last year or in the offseason or anything like that. And if you're going to move him, like obviously that opens up minutes for guys like Mark Williams or Nick Richards or Kai Jones. And if you don't want to do that, why did you draft them? So like, eventually that you have to be like, we want to give these guys starter level or like consistent backup minutes instead of being like one of the three is playing the other one sits on the bench and then Kai goes to Greensboro and JT Thor goes to Greensboro, like every now and again, like I've, that, you, you didn't draft players to keep them in Greensboro forever. So I, I think that now is the perfectly opportune time, both from like Mason Plumlee's value standpoint and getting the players that you drafted onto the floor before it becomes like a little bit too late. This is, if this was the Bill Simmons podcast, I don't know if you listen, this is where he would go, Cal, turn the TikTok camera on. Because if the Hornets don't trade, Mason Plumley, I think it would be the most indefensible move of the Mitch Kupchak era. Letting Not the worst him go move. for nothing in free agency after this season would be a horrible mismanagement of assets. Yeah. Not the worst move because like at the end of the day, what you're getting back, the, the level of yeah, player, right. you know, but the most indefensible move because there is no reason unless you are going to re-sign him, which then creates more questions about your draft picks. There is no reason not to move Plumlee. And if if they don't, like, I cannot blame anyone for just criticizing the thought process and the questioning the long-term direction and the ability for this team to, like, adapt on the fly and to take advantage of situations, even if you fell into the situation you didn't mean to be in. There is no reason whatsoever for Mason Plumley, And it's nothing to do with Mason. I don't want like, Mason, if you're listening, like you've turned your career, like you're having a career year. You're doing a great job. But this is, it's not about go, you. Go be us. a contributor on a playoff team. Yes. Like, for, go, for, go help Jokic. Yeah. Go help Sabonis. Like go, go back at those like, guys. This is your time, Plum Dog yes. Millionaire. This is it right now. The Charlotte Hornets are not doing that for you this year. No, go get it. So, so that's the one I just think it it has to happen, and I, I like I am confident it will. Me but too. this organization <laughs> will always surprise us. 
Yeah. You the know, Kelly Oubre one, on the other hand, I think that's I, I have trickier. I have one more before we get off of Mason. I oh, have yeah, to bounce this off of you. I've oh, been looking for this for like two weeks because I keep just periodically thinking about it because it would work so well for both teams. We need to get Mason Plumley to the Clippers. They need a backup center that isn't on a two-way contract like Moses Brown mm. or Nick Batum, who's like 6'7", six, 6'8", six, on a good day. Like Mason Plumley would be a perfect passer to put with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George because both of them are very good cutters on top of being really good shot creators. He would just like eat on the offensive boards there because like no, he, all he have would have to do is just screen, roll to the rim, stand in the dunker spot. Like he doesn't have to do any sort of like the utility man, like actual offensive hub stuff that he has to do in Charlotte right now because of the state of the roster. The only problem with that is it is like literally impossible to trade him to the to the Clippers with like a matching salary. My dream, Chase, it is my you're, dream. You're missing something. You're missing something, Chase. What they have it? a trade exception for nine point seven million. See, I was trying to do that on on uh, the NBA trade machine, and it said that it wouldn't it wouldn't uh, he wouldn't fit into it, or like he wasn't eligible to be used in the the trade exception. But maybe Fanspo.com is lying to me right now because that would be perfect. I also. Would love to get Terrence Mann in return from him because he doesn't really play when they're fully healthy and like a useful like ball handling passing defensive wing would be really nice in return for Mason. So I mean, if there's any way to get him to the Clippers and get Terrence Mann back in return, I think that is like a fantastic trade for both teams. That would help both of them out considerably. Maybe not so, like on the court for the Hornets, but asset wise, definitely. So- the reason the trade machine won't have worked for you, I think, is because you can't combine a trade exception with a player. And a player, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you could trade Mason Pumley into the trade exception just straight. They would have to send something back. It would have to be a draft pick, basically. They couldn't combine it with a player. So it'd be like, I don't know, a second-round pick. Then there would have to be a separate deal where Terrence Mann is then traded to Charlotte for something else. I, I don't know. Just pick it, Dennis Smith. I mean, they could Terrence probably Mann. just trade Terrence Mann into Charlotte's cap space after that. Each team would end up. Yes, because they would have cap space, exception. actually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They would just Charlotte would have, Charlotte. they would have yeah, an exception, they'd, okay. but they'd have cap space to be able to do that. They could. Yeah. The, the only, like, I, I thought about that, and I probably should have included it in because someone actually said to me as well about that. The only reason I didn't is because I thought that the Clippers, like, already have small ball five options with Morris, with Bob Covington. Uh, like even Nick Batum has spent some time with five there. I, I know they're not traditional fives, but they've got guys you can like play the role. That's the only reason I didn't. Uh, but th- I think you're right, especially like it would make some sense. I actually don't know if he would like be in the full rotation. Yeah. I don't, I don't think they would play two bigs, like one after another, but to have him there as cover for someone like... Uh, Zubac, or if one of these other guys went down, then then I can see that. So I, I think you're right. I think it's a good it's a good one to bring up. Um, it's probably one I should have included. Um, yeah, I think I think it's I think it's worthwhile to to be aware of. I do. All right, on to Kelly Oubre, who certainly yeah. is a more you know exciting trade option for for the other teams that would be acquiring well, him. I think you think that. He is more difficult to find homes for. One, because he makes a little bit more money. But yeah, there's that not was a single trade. There's not a single trade exception that Kelly Oubre fits into in the NBA that exists mm. right now. So you have to find salary matching. And he just doesn't fit next to 
star players that well, right? He's not a connecting piece. He doesn't really pass the ball. He takes a lot of shots. He's not that efficient. He's not a great floor spacer, even though he flashed it kind of last year at times. He's a streaky shooter. Um, he looks like he should be able to guard, you know, one through four, but really like he's a perimeter. He's good at hounding like ball handlers and perimeter players, but really struggles inside, really struggles executing defensive schemes. Um, like someone like a, a Doug McDermott. <laughs> I know Kelly Oubre is a better player, but Doug McDermott is almost easier to fit, I think, around your star player. And I think that's sometimes what teams are looking for. I find it really difficult to find the Kelly Oubre trade. I mean, the one you mentioned was Kelly Oubre to Cleveland for Isaac Okoro, Dylan Windler, who's essentially salary filler. And did I throw in second round picks with Kelly Oubre in that? Yeah, it was the the Utah 2023 second. So like a yeah. mid-round second pick this year. Yeah, so that was the Cleveland. And the, the, the goal there is like second draft, Isaac Okoro. Get a guy who is not struggle to make an impact. I, I just don't see a world where Cleveland don't try and upgrade. I think they'll try and get shooting. This is the problem with Cleveland. I think they want someone who can stretch the floor because you're already going to be playing Mobley and Allen. And you want a guy who's a better shooter. And like Kelly isn't exactly that, but there's only so many of those guys who are available who can stretch the floor. And if you get close to the deadline and those other options have gone, your Bogdanovich's have gone, uh, Doug McDermott's gone, whatever, like Kelly Ray could be sitting right there and I could see them going, okay, wasn't our first choice, but we can see a role here. Let's go with it. I, yeah, I could definitely see that too. And something that I've thought about it just in this discussion is, and we talked about this, I mean, probably a month and a half ago when we had Matt Issa on the podcast, recurring guest, shout out to Matt, always writing great stuff. But he talked about how Kelly Oubre has like the Marcus Smart effect, second Marcus Smart reference on this podcast, by the way, for those keeping count at home. You know, uh, you're he, a boss. You know, you're a Massachusetts <laughs> guy. Hey, hey, only, hey, there's only one guard uh, in the last 20 years to win defensive player of the year. And it's number 36. So it's almost say, but either way, he has that same effect on offense where like people guard him beyond the three point line, even though he's not a fantastic shooter, like defenders do close out on Kelly. Like even if he's Oh, for free in a game, they, everyone knows the mentality that he has and it's all he needs to do is just see one go down and that could really start to snowball. And eventually, you know, he's got 15 points in 10 minutes and then you're down by seven after having the lead for a little while. So he could definitely be like a spark plug type of shooter, not an efficient shooter, not like a reliable shooter, but definitely like a microwave type of guy. And I think those have a, an increasing value, over, especially over the last like two years, probably as we see players like like Jordan Poole or Ant Simons or even like Anthony Edwards or something like that on the higher end of the spectrum. Like you don't need to be like, elite efficiency if everyone that defends you thinks you can shoot you know what i mean like it, it almost doesn't it's like it almost doesn't matter like gravity is more important than like the actual result of the shot i agree and and i think i think different nba teams will view kelly Oubre differently absolutely i think so i think some will view him as oh look back at the warriors situation he had every reason to be successful he wasn't like that's a red flag they will look at three-point percentage and go, no, that's not right. And I think some, like you say, if you watch the watch the film a little bit closer, that he does get closed out on hard. Um, 
you know, this year because of the lack of playmaking the Hornets had, he was taking a lot of tough shots. He was like getting guarded by opposing team's best guys. That's not going to be happening on a contending team. Um, so I, I think it's a fair point. And that's why I think it's a really difficult one because I think some, I just think he's got a really varied trade value across the league. Like the NBA media particularly is not very high on Kelly Oubre. Um, what the hell do they know? Well, <laughs> hey, we are the NBA media. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. Um, and like, I know when he, <clears throat> like, I reached out to some people because I thought the Suns would be like a maybe a yeah. destination. And I reached out to some people and let's just put it this way. Kelly, uh, Kelly didn't go quietly when he left Phoenix. And I don't think people in Phoenix have forgotten that, right? So I think that's the other thing that even though in Charlotte, I've people have spoken really well of him. He's been some of the younger players look up to. I think when he has gone to situations in Golden State, in Phoenix, and Washington, I think people aren't necessarily like devastated when Kelly's moved on. Um, and like he was young then, so he's a lot older now, and I think he's changed. But that that can follow you for a little bit in your career. Yeah, it definitely can. Perception is a very important part of your like trade value and value as a free agent around the league. And you're, I, I definitely agree that the perception on him varies pretty significantly, probably depending on who you ask. Okay. Last, last thing I want to just get your thoughts on is I've, I've got an article coming up at Hornets SI, a, a mock trade negotiation. And I did it with a, a Hawks reporter uh, who also works for sports. Eye, sports illustrated sports. Eye. that's a, that's a good name for a website. Sports. Eye. I bet it there already we go. exists. Well, I'll check this after the show. If not, I'm buying that URL. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, We did a little mock trade negotiation for John Collins, who has been actually in the news just today. Um, I mean, if anyone's not read the article in The Athletic about Travis Schlenk being kicked out and the owner's son, 27-year-old son who is limited understanding of basketball, who is now a prominent voice in the Hawks front office. I mean, that sounds like a freaking... I mean, that's making the, the Hornets front office look stable and well put together right now. <laughs> uh, but Can I say one thing, though? That's like, yeah. is that not literally like our dream? Like, imagine just being handed this basketball team from your like super rich father at the yeah. age of 27. I, like, that's that would be pretty nice if someone did that for me right now. It's not going to happen. But I mean, at least in, from that guy's perspective, uh, it's, it's going pretty well. I don't know about any Hawks uh, fan, player, coach. <laughs> employee how they feel but for that one guy specifically that's pretty sweet yeah but john collins is a guy who the the ask for trade has gone down um he's got i think another four years left in his contract and his three-point shooting has fallen off an absolute cliff this season his overall numbers are down but he had struggled with an ankle injury early in the year he also had a, this big finger finger injury if you google john collins hand um you'll see like he had this big finger injury towards the end of last season which definitely like impacted him i think over the summer and there's been some lingering things and like i'm for i'm someone like you look at mitch kupchak's record as a gm in free agency it's not great like it's a lot of luol dengs mozgovs haywards and i think like reinvesting some future cap space in a guy like john collins and hoping it's a bit of a redemption story give lamella ball a good pick and roll ball handler he can also stretch the floor uh not this year so much but in the previous three years before that, he's proven to be a pretty good shooter. I think he's a, a good trade candidate. And I don't want to give away the details of all my articles, but when it comes out, I definitely suggest you read it because we get into a really interesting discussion about what the Hawks are looking for and uh, what they could potentially give up for John Collins in a trade, who seems very, very available. Um, 
Yeah. I saw you making a face. You looked at John Collins' hand while I was talking, didn't you? I yes, I literally did Google John Collins' hand. It looks nasty. Like that that is a nasty injury. I can understand how that would have like some sort of lingering effect, but I just want to back in 2019. Now we gotta preface this. The Hawks were very bad that year. It was the year the COVID halted the NBA season. I uh, they John Collins only ended up playing 41 games. Most teams finished around like 50 something uh, before the season was suspended. So he missed some time. But he averaged 21.6 points, 10.1 rebounds, and 1.6 blocks per game that year. If you can get him back somewhat close, and ever since then, all of those numbers for the most part have been like steadily ticking downward, and that probably just coincides with the rise of Trey Young as like one of the league's elite, like singular offensive engines. But I mean, even if he can get back to like 18, 19 points a game instead of 22 and be close to a double-double per night with, like, a block, that's a super, super useful player, especially for LaMelo Ball and probably someone that's the Hornets have not had in terms of, like, their quality and the per-game output that they're putting into the stat sheet. I don't – I mean, maybe Miles Bridges last year counts, but he's Miles Bridges isn't, like, rebounding or protecting the rim in the way that John Collins would. So that I, – I, I genuinely think that he would probably be the, the best player LaMelo has ever played with. Wow. I'm a I'm a big John Collins guy to be with. to be on with. You, I mean, with. yeah, I, I'd say <laughs> that Miles Bridges' year last year was at least or, on or par maybe, with that Or maybe season. Terry's, I guess, would be pretty close. Um, but yeah, even but, then, like as a, I think a pairing Lamella with a six nine guy that can set screens and roll to the rim is probably more important than pairing him with an off ball shooter that's six one. Hundred percent agree. Hundred percent agree. And um. I, I think they make a good mix. I mean, his his if you look at his numbers as a role man, they are the only Hornet who Lamelo has ever played with that comes anywhere close as Montrezl Harrell when he was here last year. Um, he was the only guy that has like the same efficiency rolling to the rim. Um, so I think he'd be an interesting trade candidate. The, the elephant in the room is Mass Bridges, um, who. Uh, they've got. A, we how have we still not got an update on this? I. Don't want to get into this now. It's too late in the podcast. We're not going to do it. But if, like, the good thing with that, like, Miles, I think, could maybe play with John Collins. And John Collins could replace Miles if Miles isn't coming back. So, like, but that does factor into it because depending what salary Miles would be on affects John Collins. So you need to know what's going on there, really, before you, like, add a major. You can, you know, trade Plumlee away, trade Kelly Oubre away, even if the Miles Bridges situation is unresolved and unclear. I don't think you can make the John Collins trade unless you know what's happening with the Bridges situation, just because the length and the size of the contract. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Who you take back is very important right now. Like, or not necessarily who, but the like contractual value that what you take back, what level of draft pick or quality of draft pick you take back. That is like very, very important right now because if the Hornets are going to flip this thing around quickly, you're going to want to get, either a, like a marquee or close to a marquee player to pair with LaMelo or a lot of draft picks and a lot of cap space and that you can, you know, finagle your way into rebuilding the roster for next season. Agreed. Right. Any, any last little trade things you want to hit here before we finish out? Hmm. Just really quick. What is the likelihood that they trade someone like Terry or maybe Hayward or PJ Washington, like a, what, somebody that's like a just a higher quality, like consistent starter right now. 
if the, if the like because if the team was fully healthy, Kelly Oubre probably doesn't start. Mm. Maybe, probably not. But he doesn't. No, he doesn't. Yeah. They, they've said they've said like Steve Clifford said the plan coming into the year, and he said Kelly knows this was for him to be a sixth man. So yeah, he doesn't. Right. Um, Terry, I think very unlikely. Hayward, I think pretty unlikely. Um, if he was healthy, maybe a different story. Um, story with his life. Um, the the one PJ Washington, I think is is possible. Um, I think that's the one um, that I could see. He's already been mentioned, and I think in the Jake Fisher article, as someone who could potentially be available, the Indiana Pacers might have some interest there, which is an interesting one. Uh, I don't want to spoil articles, but I've got a PJ Washington trade with Indiana that I think is kind of interesting that involves Chris Duarte, um, which I'm going to be posting my article next week. Um, but yeah, I think PJ's PJ's the guy. I think would be most likely here because one isn't expiring, but two, like you have his restricted rights if you trade for him. So it's not just an expiring. You can view a world where you can have that handshake agreement. Like you're going to resign with us for X amount of money in the summer and and we can go from there. Um, So yeah, I think PJ is the the most likely. I just think they'll have their focus. Isn't going to be on like, moving Terry Rozier. I think their focus will be on expiring contracts, which are PJ, Kelly, Mason, which is why those are the three guys I'm focusing on for these SI articles, looking at the trade markets for those. Yeah, I completely agree. Ter- like Terry or Hayward are not getting traded, I don't think. like they. It's just, why would you spend so many hours and so many resources at the deadline trading players that you're not going to get a good return for in comparison to like the value that they've had either previously or could have in the future when they're fully healthy or not in a shooting slump. So I, I agree. I don't think that anybody, any like big name player is going to be moved. I think it's just expiring contracts and like maybe end of the roster guys as some salary filler. The, the only thing with Terry, and this will be the last point is Sham Sharania had a report back in like September, October, where he said that the Lakers will be monitoring Terry Rozier. But <laughs> yeah. Discussions aren't expected to go any, yeah. Discussions aren't expected to go anywhere. But it will depend how Charlotte's season goes. And at the time, everyone was like, well, okay, well, we'll see how the season goes. Fast forward. Season, yeah, season has not gone well. Yeah. <laughs> no. And like, if what Shams is saying there is basically, if the Hornets are bad, they might revisit these trade talks. Then we, we, we've, met, we've met that criteria, should we say? We've met the threshold for that. Yes. So uh, that's like one that they could maybe revisit. But at the same time, you could argue that the Lakers are in a different spot. Westbrook coming off the bench. Um, they, you know, they might not be wanting to commit any picks. They might be further away than they thought in the summer. So things might have changed. That's the only one to, that kind of we know about to keep aware of. But again, I think, I still think it's unlikely for now. Okay. Well, that'll do us for this week. Um, one last thing before we go. Make sure you go fight for Bryce McGowan's G League All-Star. Yes. I didn't know, I don't know why there's a G League All-Star game, but I know that Bryce McGowan's has been one of the best players we've seen in the G League this year. And it'd be cool to have a member of the Swarm representing the Hornets at the G League All-Star game, which I think is at the NBA All-Star game in Salt yeah, Lake yeah. this year. Yeah. So uh, you can go on the G League website and vote. Let's give Bryce McGowan's a vote. Let's get one All-Star this year. You know, if it's not the Mellow, why not be Bryce McGowan's, right? So uh, go do that. And other than that, Chase, I will speak to you next time. See you later. Thanks, everybody, for listening.